Buddy, if you could come back in and find a place to grab a seat, that'd be great. We're going to get started. Worship was good this morning, wasn't it? It's good to be in the presence of the Lord. The vision of Family Life Church is to love God, love people, and to love Warsaw. And Today we're going to talk about a really practical way that we can do that, we can accomplish that vision, and that's through serving. Serving is a really great way to express your love to God, to people, and to the community of people that God has placed you in. I want to start off by telling you a story. Maybe some of you will remember this story. Back in 2018, there was a soccer team from Thailand. Um, it's like young boys, like maybe like 7th and 8th grade or something like that. And they finished up their soccer practice, and in the place in northern Thailand where they were, there were these caves that people would go explore, kind of like maybe like we might go explore Letchworth State Park or something like that. So this soccer team went to explore these caves, and they got down into these caves, and it was monsoon season, but it didn't look like there was any rain coming or anything like that. But a storm rolled in, and it was a big, horrible, nasty storm, and they didn't see it coming. So it started raining like crazy, and it started to flood like crazy, and they're down in these caves, and they tried to get out of these caves, but they couldn't get out because the water was rising so fast, and they got trapped into these, in these caves. And so the water was rising in the place that they were, and so in order to get away from the flooding, rising water, they went deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the cave until they finally could get to a place where they could get to an area that was higher, but then they were stuck in this pocket in the cave, and the water was high, and they couldn't get out. Sounds like my wife's biggest nightmare and fear in life. Like, she hates being in closed, like, tight places. So I don't cover her up with the covers or anything like that. I, I promise I don't. Um, so these boys got stuck in this cave with their coach. And uh, so some of the parents knew that they were going to the cave, and so when the, when the boys didn't come home, they reached out to the authorities, and the authorities started looking for them and started to try and find them. And then this became an international story where everyone was talking about these boys that were trapped in these caves. And it became one of the biggest rescue efforts in history. In fact, there was over 10,000 people that aided in the rescue effort. There was more than 100 divers, scores of rescue workers, representatives from over 100 government agencies, 900 police officers, 2,000 soldiers, 10 police helicopters, 7 ambulances, more than 700 Diving cylinders were used, and more than a billion liters of water ended up getting pumped out of this cave in an effort to rescue these kids. So the word of this group of kids that were stuck in this cage, kind of in this cave, kind of spread all over the world. And people started hearing about it and trying to think, like, is there anything I could possibly do to help? Or just at least they were following the story. One of those people that heard and wondered if there was anything they could do to help was Elon Musk. Elon thought to himself, you know, I've got access to probably the best engineers in the world. I've got access to some of the best machinery in the world and equipment to build cars. I've got access to the best materials in the world. I wonder if there's anything I could do to help. So someone from Elon Musk's team reached out to the divers and the people that were coordinating the rescue efforts, and they said, is there anything we could do to help and aid in this rescue effort? Well, was, what the divers started doing is they started diving into these caves and started to try and find the kids. And it took a long time to actually find them because they were literally four miles deep into this cave. 
And the divers, in these caves, there was holes that the kids went through that were only this big, that they would climb through to get deeper into this cave. So the divers said there was places where they had to take their scuba gear off and squeeze their shoulders through these caves and then pull the scuba gear behind them to get further into these caves. So initially what they thought they were going to do was they were going to take diving equipment in and teach these kids how to dive and spend some time in there with them, teaching them how to dive, and then have them dive their way out of the cave. That was the initial plan. So they reached out to Elon Musk and they said, you know, there's places that we have to go through that the men that were diving had to squeeze their shoulders in just to get through. So we need to get all this diving gear in there to train these kids, but we, it's going to take too many trips to do it ourselves. <clears throat> so they asked Elon Musk if he could design a submarine that would fit through these holes and would be long and would be able to carry enough equipment that they could take the diving equipment into these kids. Elon said, I'm on it, we'll do it. So he got together all of his teams and all of the people that are working on, on his team, and they started designing this submarine. And they built this submarine inside of a week. It took over a million dollars. He had to shut down his plant to pull people to work on this submarine. They built this one-of-a-kind submarine, cost over a million bucks, and he lost a million dollars in manufacturing during that week. He, Elon Musk himself tested the submarine in pools that they were working in. Then he tested it in the ocean. When they decided it would work, Elon Musk took it in his private plane and delivered it himself to Thailand. And he went to aid in the rescue efforts. By the time Elon got there, the divers had taken a number of trips in to these kids to take food and water so that they could survive while they were waiting to get them in there. The divers took one look at the submarine and they said, it's not going to work. In these trips that they were taking in and out, they realized that there was places that he made a submarine that would fit through the holes, but because it was rigid, it couldn't make the bends. So sometimes they would go through a hole and then bend and go up and then climb and go down, and the submarine wasn't going to be able to make the bends. So when that happened, you know, I don't know how Elon Musk would have reacted. Like, I don't know what I would expect out of a reaction from him. Like, maybe he would take his submarine and go home and try and find a way to monetize it or something like that, or maybe he would go back to the drawing board. I don't, I don't know what I would really expect from Elon Musk, but what he did I thought was powerful. What Elon Musk said, the first words out of his mouth were, tell me what I can do to help. What can I do to help? And they looked at Elon and they said, would you be willing to do what all the other rescue workers are doing? And he said, absolutely, tell me what to do. So for the next two weeks, Elon put together cots for the divers to sleep on when they would come back from diving. He built tents for them to sleep in when they would come back. He handed out water. He handed out food. Like He jumped in the trenches with everyone else with a servant's heart, and he was willing to do whatever it took to try and reach these kids. In the, when they decided they weren't going to be able to take Elon's submarine in, the next thing that they tried to do was they tried to drill a hole down from the top, like kind of like a giant well, and drill down and then pull the kids up with rescue harnesses. But for a number of reasons, that didn't work. In the end, what they ended up doing was sealing off the cave and then pumping billions of gallons of water out of the cave so that the kids could just walk out of the cave in the same way that they walked in. And when the, when the rescue had been completed, um, there was a, the, the media found out that Elon Musk was there. And they did something strange. I don't really get why the media did this, but they did. They kind of tried to pit Elon against the divers. 
And they started to ask him questions trying to bait him, saying like, you know, why didn't they use the, the submarine? And do you think they could have saved the kids sooner if they would have used the submarine? And Elon simply said, we all worked together to accomplish the goal, and the goal was accomplished. Elon asked a super important question that I think would be an awesome question for us to start using in our lives. And that's a simple question that is, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? There's something that I think Elon Musk had in this story that I told you that oftentimes I believe the church is missing. And I think if the church had this thing that Elon had, we could do almost anything. And it's not Elon Musk's money. He's like the richest dude in the world. But I don't actually think the church needs his money. I don't think that's what the church needs is more money. What the church needs and what Elon had was a servant's heart. I believe, we, I believe that if the church in America was a church full of people with servants' hearts, there's almost anything we could do. The most valuable thing Elon had to offer wasn't his money. It ended up not being this submarine that he created. It ended up being that he was willing to get down in the trenches and get dirty and hand out water and comfort families that were scared and build tents and just simply serve. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, or another, another version says God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. That's serving. It's kind of crazy to think that before we were even born, God knew us. And then when God fashioned us, he, he created good works in the future that would fit your hand and my hand perfectly. He put good works out in the future that were waiting for us to do. Matthew 5, 16 uses this same phrase. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, people will actually see God and begin to glorify him when they see us serving, when they see our servant hearts in action. The main scripture that I want to look at today is actually in Galatians. It's Galatians 5, verses 13 through 14. It says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, to love your neighbor as yourself. The first thing I want to point out to you in this, point of, in this portion of Scripture is that Paul says to serve through love. To serve through love. He says, serve one another humbly in love. And that word in really means through. To serve one another through love. Maybe some of you have heard this statistic before, but for years, they've said that 20% of the people in churches do 80% of the work. And I hate that statistic. That statistic has always bothered me. And it doesn't bother me because I'm part of the 20% and I'm annoyed at the 80% that aren't doing anything. It bothers me because it points to Christianity as being some type of consumer sport where we just show up and consume. We're not here to serve. We're not here to engage. We're just here to consume, like show up and feed me, take care of me. They actually say that in the post-pandemic church, that statistic has gotten worse 
And that statistic is now that 10% of the people in the church are doing 90% of the weight, 90% of the work, carrying 90% of the weight. And you could hear that phrase, and you could kind of feel like you know what's coming. I'm going to talk about serving. You could be bracing yourself for me to shame you into serving this morning. And I want you to know that I'm actually not going to do that. You can go ahead and kind of let your defenses down a little bit. I'm not going to should all over you this morning, I promise. Um, I'm not going to shame you into serving. I am going to talk about serving, but I'm not going to shame you into it. Um, there's, there, are, there are holes in the ministry around Family Life Church. There are holes that need to be filled in order for us to continue to um, accomplish the vision that God has given us, for us to continue to minister to the people of this church and to minister to the community. There's holes that need to be filled. But God is well aware of those holes, and I believe he can see to it that those, fill, those holes are filled. And they're going to be filled better by him moving on people's hearts than me shaming people into serving. So I am not going to shame any of you into serving. You can go ahead and just relax a little bit. You can trust me. Um, one of the reasons that I'm not going to shame people into serving is because I actually think it works. I think it works for a while to shame people into serving. But then you get people filling roles and people serving in areas that they don't actually have a heart to serve in. They're doing it out of obligation, but when you do it out of obligation, there's very, very little fruit. And sometimes there's bad fruit that follows. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Maybe you hear that Pastor Ben is desperate for people to serve in the youth ministry. And I spent an entire Sunday morning shaming you guys for not serving, and you realize, oh my goodness, I'm not a part of the 10% that's serving, I'm part of the 90 that's just consuming, and I don't want to do that. And so you say, okay, Pastor Ben, like I can babysit some teenagers, like sign me up, I'll be there. And you come to youth group, and you start going, but you kind of can't stand teenagers, and they kind of annoy you. And they drive you nuts. You don't like them. In fact, you wish they weren't there. Like if it was just you and Pastor Ben, that would be cool. But the fact that the teenagers are there is annoying. And as you can see, like this is not going to be very fruitful. In fact, this is actually going to be counterproductive. Let me paint another picture for you of what serving could look like. Last week, I talked about abiding in Christ. And let's say you've been actually practicing that, and you start abiding in Christ and trying to remain in him, and you're spending time with him, and you're thinking about him throughout the day. And as you're doing that, you're actually finding that you're starting to care about the things that he cares about. You're starting to become passionate about the things that he's passionate about. Things that move his heart all of a sudden are moving your heart. Let's say you're driving to the store, and you pass a girl on the side of the road, and as you drove by her, it kind of looked like she was crying, and you feel like the Holy Spirit tells you to go back and, and talk to her and try and pick her up and see if you can help her. And you don't want to <clears throat> because you don't want her to be weirded out by you, and you don't want her to think you're some creeper, but you're like, okay, Lord, fine. So you go back, and you pick up this girl. And she's a little nervous to get in the car with you, but she really desperately needs a ride, and she has a long ways to go, so she gets in and you ask her why she's crying, and you ask her what's going on in her life, and she starts to tell you about what's going on in her life. And you're able to pray with her, and you're able to encourage her, and you get her where she's got to go, and you drop her off. But you can't seem to shake it. Like you're thinking about this girl every day, and you're praying for her, and your heart is actually starting to grow for her. And then all of a sudden, you start to think about what life felt like for you as a teenager. 
and how it was kind of an awkward time in your life where you weren't a child anymore, but you weren't adult, and it was like in that in-between, it was kind of a hard time for you, and you were trying to have a relationship with the Lord, but you were kind of struggling, and you struggled in your relationship with your parents, and you remember that time. And then you start to have a heart for teenagers in general. Not just that specific girl, but you start to have a heart for teenagers. And you go and you sit down with Pastor Ben and you talk about the youth group and what they're doing. And you, he says, you know, would you be interested in serving in the youth ministry? And you say, yeah. So you come and you start attending for a while. And it's going well. You're building relationships with these teenagers. And then Pastor Ben asks you to oversee a small group. And now you're able to actually teach some of these teenagers about the Word of God and talk to them about how God has impacted your life. And I think you can see like how much more fruitful this has the potential of being because this person isn't just serving out of obligation or trying to fill some role or duty. They're serving because of love in their heart, inspired by the Lord and the Holy Spirit for these teenagers. I'll give you another example. Maybe Maybe you see a young mom trying to come into church, and she's kind of coming in by herself with her kids, and you say to your husband, like, hey, maybe we could sit next to her and see if we could try and help her with her kids. Like, it, it looks like she's got her hands full, and you remember what it was like for you when you had little ones at home and how challenging it was, and it was like a mosh pit just trying to get them through the door to church, right? So you guys go, and you, you sit next to this single mom, and you start helping her with her kids, and you say, you know, could we help you? And she says, sure. And so she hands you the kids, and you're holding the kids during worship, and you're raising your hands, and the kid is raising their hands, and it's like, this is awesome. And you look over out of the corner of your eye, and you see the mom, and she just sits through the whole worship service and just cries. She's so overwhelmed. She feels like she's doing life alone, and it feels so heavy. And just to have a few moments in the presence of the Lord felt so refreshing that she didn't have to worry about the kids running around and causing trouble, but she could just be in the presence of the Lord. And you saw that, and you saw what a difference it made in her life. And you saw how much of a difference that made, and you said, you know what, like maybe we could start to serve in the kids' ministry, and we could like help other parents to have some time where they could just be in the presence of the Lord and hear the Word of God preached. So you volunteer to serve in the kids' ministry, and you're serving in the nursery, But you're not just simply rocking a crying baby and trying to shove animal crackers in its mouth. Like you're there and you're rocking this kid and soothing it, but you're also praying for this family that this kid comes from. You're praying for the father of this kid. You're interceding for this family. And the kid's crying and now you're crying too. And now both of you are trying to eat animal crackers to soothe the crying. (laughs) And as you're realizing, you're actually feeling God's heart for this family. You're feeling what God feels for this family. And then God whispers in your ear and he says, I don't just feel that for that family, I feel that same thing for your family. You were there trying to serve, but in the process of serving, like like you became a conduit for the love of God to flow through you to this child and to this family, but somehow God's love spilled out all over you. Like you should be empty from chasing around these little minions in the nursery, but somehow you left on Sunday morning and you were filled up in a way that you didn't even know you could be. You should be exhausted, but you're energized because you weren't just filling a role. You weren't just doing a duty. You were literally serving with Jesus. You were ministering to that family. Maybe hear about some work projects that we have to do around church and you think like, okay, like, There's a church work day. I can go and I can work on these projects. 
But you're not just doing it out of an obligation because you're a member at Family Life Church and it's expected of you. You come and it's an opportunity for you to actually serve with Jesus. It's an opportunity for you to care for God's house, to do some practical things that need to happen so that God's house can be well kept. While you're doing these projects, you're thinking about that there are actually people that are going to meet Jesus for the first time in this building. And some of what you're doing is making it possible for that to happen. You're thinking about marriage counseling that's going to happen in this building, that there's going to be marriages and families that are restored. You're thinking about premarital counseling that's going to happen in this church. And you're realizing you have a part in seeing marriages have a great foundation when they start out. You're not just serving out of obligation or because it's your responsibility. You're doing it because God is in it and because your heart is moved by the Holy Spirit. And this is going to be so much more fruitful and productive than just doing it out of obligation. So Paul says the first thing that we should do is we should serve through love. So if you want to serve, let it be through love. If you want to serve out of obligation, I would encourage you just to stay home, not even to bother doing it because it's not going to be very very fruitful. But if you're abiding in God, and as you abide in him, you start to have a heart for the things that he has a heart for, and you can serve from a place of love, that service is going to be so much more fruitful. The second thing that Paul says is that freedom is actually for serving. This is in Galatians 5.13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh Rather, serve. Freedom is not for the purpose of indulging our flesh. Freedom is for the purpose of serving. But so many times, we take the freedom that Christ purchased for us, and we use it to indulge our flesh. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2, and I want to read to you the first 10 verses of Ephesians 2 where Paul talks about this. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift, not by works, So that no one can boast, listen to this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you ever wonder what you were made for, if you ever wonder what your purpose was, what God created you for, you were created to do good works that he literally prepared for you ahead of time. When we take the freedom that Christ purchased for us and we use it to gratify ourselves, we're following our flesh. 
I mean, when it boils down to it, we're either following the Lord or we're following the enemy. I want to show you a, tr- a tricky progression that I see in this scripture that I see a lot of people fall into in their lives. It starts out where you think you're just simply living your life, but you end up living for yourself. And then you think you're living for yourself, but really you're going along with the flow. And then you think you're just going along with the flow, but really you're following the world. And then you think you're just following the world, but really you're following Satan, the ruler of this world. And it started when you thought you were just simply living your life. There's a guy who I used to be close to, and he was an awesome worship leader. I used to love when he would lead worship. He always did such a good job. But this guy kind of always lived like on the edge. He didn't like turn his back on God or anything like that, but he always just kind of walked a fine line. And he would say things like, look, I'm just living my life, man. Like, just leave me alone. Or he'd say, show me in the Bible where that's a sin. He used to say that kind of stuff all the time. Before long, he was just kind of living life for himself. And this guy ended up following this progression that I talked about in his life. And now this guy is like so far from God. Like the thought of him leading worship is like so far from his mind. Like it's almost like it was another lifetime for him. He's so far from God and it started with simply following, living life for himself and living life for his flesh. What I want you to see is that we all want freedom. Like each one of us wants freedom. We want to be free. We want the joy of freedom. But in the end, so many times we use that freedom to just gratify ourselves. True freedom is only found in Christ. And Paul tells us the freedom that Christ purchased for us was so that we could serve. I have a dog. His name is Hunter. And uh, I like my dog. He's a cool little mini golden doodle. And he has a little bit of a problem sometimes. And he, the problem, he has a couple problems. But this problem that I'm talking about is um, he thinks we don't want him to be free. He thinks we don't want him to enjoy freedom. So like every once in a while, he doesn't do it most of the time. Most of the time he's just fine. But every once in a while, like the door gets cracked open and he's like gone, just like a thousand miles an hour, like running through the neighborhood, like can't catch him, nothing. Like he's just gone. He doesn't do it very often, but it's like, it's almost like this desire for freedom builds up in him and then he can't contain it anymore and boom, he's like just gone. But what my dog Hunter doesn't realize is that I actually want the best little dog life for Hunter ever. Like, I want him to be free ever. I want him to have an awesome life. I actually want him to do the same thing that he wants to do when he thinks he's experiencing freedom. I want him to be able to run and jump and chase other dogs and bark at people, and I want him to be able to be free. But the breed of freedom that my dog wants to experience it's not going to end well for him. Like that breed of freedom that he wants to experience, it ends with getting hit by a car. Like if he wants to run where he wants, when he wants, think this whole world is his and do what he wants, that breed of freedom literally for him will end in death. And the breed of freedom that sometimes we want to express where we want to gratify our flesh like it does for my dog, it ends up ending in death. What my dog ends up missing is that if he would just submit to me and trust me, 
I will take him to a place where he can experience that same freedom he wants to experience, but in a way that's not going to lead to death. And it's the same in our relationship with the Lord. The Lord sometimes is looking at us going like, I'm not trying to stop you from having freedom in your life. I just know how, how you can have it to the fullest. And if you do it your way, it's going to lead to death. But if you'll wait and walk with me, you'll experience true freedom. Some of you know that, um, that I'm kind of into personal finance, and it's kind of a hobby. It's a weird, nerdy little hobby for me. I don't know why that happened, but I'm kind of into personal finance, and I like helping people with that. One of the things that I learned when I was studying personal finance is that when people do well, oftentimes they can retire. They'll end up, they'll find themselves in a position financially where they can retire and experience all kinds of freedom. But there's a very common problem for people in retirement. And that problem is they feel like they don't have a purpose. When people retire, when they were in their working career, like they felt like their life was full of purpose and meaning. But then they retire and they kind of look around and they feel like they don't have a whole lot of purpose anymore. And I believe a big part of the reason for that is because God made us to serve. He made us to serve and he made us to find purpose in serving. Like God didn't make us to simply hold down the couch and watch the weather channel. Like I'm a weather junkie too, just like the rest of you retired folk, and I don't know why that happens to people when they retire, but they get obsessed with the weather and birds and stuff like that. It's okay. But you were made by God to do more than to hold down the couch and watch the weather channel and watch birds. Like, I hope that for those of you who are retired or maybe headed towards retirement, I hope you really, really enjoy the freedom in your life. I hope you do all kinds of fun stuff that you weren't able to do when you were working, and I hope you enjoy that freedom. But I also hope that you remember that if you don't become a servant, your life is going to feel kind of meaningless and purposeless. And you know what? You might be in a different position in your life than you were in your 30s. Like, you might not be able to do some of the things physically that you could have done when you were 30 or 20 or whatever. But God says he went into the future and made good works that were made to fit your hand. And whatever season of life you are, whatever physical capability you have, God literally made a place for you to go and serve. And you're not actually going to feel free in life until you become a servant. The third thing that Paul says is serve as you would serve yourself. He says this in the last part of verse 14. He says to love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but we're really, really good at meeting our own needs. It's like we're super, super aware of the things that we need. Like if we're hungry, it becomes like almost all we can think about. Or if we're thirsty, we get up and we go get a drink right away to make sure that that need is met. And Paul here is saying to serve other people in the way that we naturally want to serve ourselves, which means we have to be aware of the people around us and be aware of their needs and look to meet some of those needs. You don't have to answer this question out loud, but if I asked you what was the most important thing in life, what would you think it would be? You can just think for a second what the most important thing would be in life. Jesus was actually asked that question in Matthew 22, uh, verses 36 through 40. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
So Jesus basically says that the most important thing in life is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. But then Jesus goes on, he said, and the second is like it, it's to love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So like Jesus is kind of saying, like if you need a Cliff Notes version of the Bible, it boils down to this loving God and loving people. It's actually where the vision of our church came from, to love God, love people, and to love Warsaw. Because to love people, as in like loving humanity and just saying, I love people, is not enough. You actually have to love the people that are close to you, the people in the community that God has placed you. So if the two most important things in life are loving God and loving people, and serving is a really, really great practical way to show your love for God and your love for people, if God were to look at your life, are there places where he could point out and say, I see your love for me and your love for people by the way that you serve? Are there places in your life that God would look at and he would say, man, I can really see your love for me and your love for people on display by the way you serve and love the people around you? Did you bow your heads this morning? Like I said, I'm not going to actually ask you to serve. All I'm going to ask you to do is to spend some time this week with the Lord and ask him that question. Lord, are there places in my life where you can actually see my love for people by the way that I serve? Or am I part of the group of people who have just looked at church as like just a place to consume and not a place to actually love the people around us? Lord, I ask you to make us people that are more like you. Lord, there's no way that we can do the vision that you gave us of loving you, loving people, and loving our community. There's no way that we can do that if we don't have servants' hearts. And Lord, if we were a church full of people with servants' hearts, there's almost, any, there's almost nothing we couldn't do. We could do almost anything if we all had a heart to serve. And Lord, you yourself said that you didn't come to be served but you came to serve. If there was anyone who should have been served, it was you. But you said you didn't even come to be served, but you came to serve. Lord, I ask you to make us a people that are like you, a people that serve like you, a people that see the needs in the people around us like you do. Lord, I ask you to change our hearts. Lord, as we abide in you, as we spend time with you, as we become more aware of you, Lord, I do ask you to do such a work on our hearts that we wouldn't be serving out of obligation or because it's our responsibility, but we would be driven by love. We would be driven by the thing that the passion in your heart for the people around us. God, I ask you to work in our hearts. And Lord, as each one who's here today, as they spend some time with you this week, Lord, I ask you to show us specific places where we could begin to serve. We could, we could begin to answer the call. We would see the, the good works that you went into the future and made for us, specifically for our hand. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, have a blessed week.